Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Gypsy Poet Radio. I'm the Gypsy Poet, and this afternoon we've got an amazing, riveting, and compelling author who's here to talk to us about her most recent publication called Times of a Lost Cathedral. Her best-selling book, White Oleander, has sold over a million copies and has appeared in Oprah's Book Club. Please welcome the one and only and the wonderful Janet Fitch. Hello Hi, there. Can you hear me? Oh, I can hear you hello. very well. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Uh, how are you doing this afternoon? Oh, I'm doing very well. Uh, you know, writing, it, there's never a day off. You're always working, or at least I am. It's the price we pay for being able to do this. Oh, yes, absolutely. I'm having a, I'm having a wonderful day so far, and especially looking forward to having my show at 4 o'clock and having to feature you. I'm I'm very excited. I want I I just want to dive into these questions. But um, first, I, I guess what I want to do first before we get into the questions is I, I'd like to talk to you a moment about um, at least one or two influences that I saw in your first book, which is of course White Oleander. Um, I saw a little bit of Horace Walpole in your um, in your writing style of the first book, and I'll, I'll explain to you why. Because there are some details that were left out in the beginning of the book that uh, that you didn't exactly talk about uh, between Ingrid and and Barry Golker and what happened and um, and what happened when she when she murdered him. <laughs> and so what I noticed is that you left that part out, but you just sort of kept it going as you went along in the book. I, I wanted to ask you: Was that uh, was was that uh, intentional, or was that uh, based on some kind of influence in your writing? I have to ask that question. Well, there's um, you know so much of writing. Actually, I haven't read Walpole, but you know there's so much of writing that is a matter of taste. You know, you're kind of crawling along on your stomach, you know, sniffing the air and and finding things by touch. And I feel that certain there's a certain kind of storytelling that i i find um overly mechanical you know i I don't like to get involved too much in business uh i you know i try to stay on the level of the drama the characters and the conflict and you know, I think that's the difference between a suspenseful literary work and a suspense novel is that, you know, it's the it's the how much of business is going to be, fo- you know, the focus of the book and how much is going to be the internals of the character and the larger issues of, you know, uh, beauty, truth and God. Uh, so I always try to go uh, for the larger issues. And I think that 
you know, I didn't want it to become a murder mystery. Yes. So I think that, you know, it was, it's just a matter of taste. Which I thought was very compelling. I've uh, I've never experienced something like that before because usually I'm I'm used to books giving a little bit more detail. I guess getting into the juice of things, and that particular moment just really wow took me by surprise. It was a it was although a, it there's was a, a lot serious... of there's mm-hmm. a lot of yep. detail in the things that the protagonist experiences, but as the protagonist wasn't there, um. Yes. Yes. Uh, there's a different level of detail that a writer would do. Mm-hmm. You know, in all my books, you know, there's mm-hmm. there's a you know there's a lot of sensual detail um, to the actions and the scenes uh, that are participated, but uh, by the protagonist. But usually, it's a first person story or it's a close third person story. So we see through the eyes of a character we are that character so things that they don't experience directly uh there it's not necessarily going to be broken down uh as if we're, we're a live scene understood yes absolutely now let's dive into your questions um i did read that you are a third generation los angeles resident what inspires you about the city wow well, I think that I like, I'm, you know, I'm a big city girl. Um, I've lived in very small towns. I've lived in medium-sized towns. But there's something about a large city that I find exciting and irritating by equal measure. And there's something about uh, the that irritation that keeps you awake. It keeps you alive. It, you know, you can't take it for granted. Um, Los Angeles in particular, you know, I know very well, so that that uh, um, has always inspired me. The, the literature of Los Angeles tends to the noir, which I'm really um, a big fan of noir. I'm actually writing a noir story right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it does have a, a you know, the light, dark um chiaroscuro of those films and uh, uh, it's no surprise that people like Chandler and uh, um, and Ross McDonald and you know James Elroy have come from LA so the dark side of the city the the diversity of it um, you know it's always new it's always interesting the the coming together of cultures that have never come together before in the history of the world are in a single strip mall in LA. You know, it's a very exciting uh, place. And in many ways it's the, it's the, um, I think it's the capital of the 21st century. You know, we're seeing, we see things here that won't happen uh, in the rest of the country for another two or three, five years. Um, so in a way, you can see the future here. And even in the time that I've lived here, you know, I've lived other places as well, but I always end up here. It's like marbles rolling across a floor that's slanted. I always end up here. But, you know, every decade is different. Uh, you know, what's going on here now is going to be happening everywhere uh, in a few years. But, uh, you know, it, it's not the city that I know, you know, I'm constantly discovering 
you know, a new way of living here, a new, um, you know, different areas of town suddenly explode and become, you know, uh, full of life where there was not a whole lot going on before. We're having all kinds of conflicts that we haven't, that are really blooming right now, uh, issues that beg the literary writer to um, to um, address. And it is much appreciated that you bring it to people's attention because um, um, a number of things that I've noticed even just in just one novel alone, you, br- you bring attention to the justice system, you bring attention to the foster care system, you know, you, you open people's eyes because it's not, it, it, because this type of story, it could take place anywhere. And so that's the beauty of it. And uh, you, you could even be inspiring somebody who's actually living a life that's eerily similar to Astrid or Ingrid. So that's, oh, well, uh, like all I my said, books, I try very hard to write in a way that people who have, have gone through those experiences or are going through those experiences true. can recognize, it's like, oh yeah, she did her research. Yeah, she knows what she's talking about. Uh, the, this, I've written two uh, recently, um, a, a you know, big story about uh, a young woman growing up during the Russian Revolution, a coming of age yes. story of a young poet. And, yes. uh, you know, I, the research has been, you know, phenom- you know, was very demanding, but I yes. wanted to make sure that nobody would read it, especially, you know, uh, people, historians, um, and, and would read it and go that I didn't do their re- my research. And nobody Man. has said that. Yeah. Oh, yes. yes. So it's oh, worth the extra have- years of effort. <laughs> Right. Um, how long have you been writing? I started writing uh, when I was 21 years old. So that was 1976. Wow. So, so you are quite the seasoned writer, I see. But, um, yeah. And, and um, being a writer, there's, um, there's a whole lot involved. And I, I want to express this to my audience: is that writing, it, um, whether it be poetry or even a novel or a short story, there's usually in some way some kind of research involved. So research is a, is a crucial part of writing because you have to know your subject matter very, very well. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I heard somewhere once someone once said, "In order for you to write well, you must write what you know," and um, this is. Uh, and and this is what we're talking about here. And uh, sometimes uh, the lo- uh, the longer you write, the more you get into it, uh, and the more seasoned you become. Of course, the better sub- the, the the better your subject matter is going to be. So that is um, that's definitely something oh. that I I absolutely love. Hmm? Yes. Well, what's interesting is that that question of write what you know, um, mm-hmm. because if we only wrote what we actually know. Um, we would be all writing memoir. (laughs) And I believe in the imaginative faculty. I believe that we can imagine ourselves into uh, other lives, that that's one of the essential, the essential uh, elements of art is that we can imagine other lives. We can imagine other people. We can, you know, other people are not pieces of cardboard walking around you know everyone has their story and their background and 
if you are able to imagine yourself into somebody else's story, it yes. broadens it broadens our humanity. But the the thing about writing about what you don't know, which is why fiction writers especially become writers because we're not necessarily interested in what we know we're interested in what we don't know we're cur- that's oh, yes, curi- it that's called curiosity and the it comes when you're writing about people different from you people have had different experiences than you uh, if I'm writing about foster kid or a punk rocker or a poet in the Russian revolution I have a responsibility yes. to get it right. I can write about things I don't know, but I, if the further I get from who my own experience, um, the bigger the responsibility is to get it right, to make sure that um, that what you've imagined is correct, and do the research, you know, to to find out from, you know, to show it to people who maybe have had that experience or ask them questions, you know, here's what I see happening. Is this right? And you'll often get, you'll either know you got it or you didn't, but you, even if you get it right, you will get details that you might not have imagined. So it's always important to check and make sure that you got it right. Um, going to my next question, um, your first novel, of course, White Oleander, was made into a film. And how, um, how did that experience enrich your life and or how did that manifest? I'm really curious about that. Well, I've had two of my books have been made into films. Uh, my second book, Paint It Black, which was set in, the, uh, in 1980 in punk rock L.A., um, was mm-hmm. also made into a film by uh, Amber Tamblyn, the actress. She wrote it. Oh, she, it was her first, her directorial debut, and that was a beautiful movie too. It's on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. The the experience of having your book made into a movie is, um, it's a bit like being a grandparent. You know, you didn't ah. actually give birth to this. Thing. Somebody, something you yeah. gave birth to gave birth to this, you know. So you're you're one step removed from it. I mean, I didn't write the script of either film. Um, I went to uh, film school for uh, 2.5 seconds and discovered that I was not a screenwriter. I don't have that elegance of form. Um, and so when I, you know, see somebody who's made a film of something I've written. It's just for me. I'm more curious to see: Do they make a work of art out of it? Are they? Do they take chances? Do they, you know, either decide to faithfully represent everything or most of it, or do they really take some, you know, big leaps and do something wildly expressive with it? So I've had two experiences with that. White Oleander um, is pretty faithful to the book. I mean, they cut a lot of stuff because. The book is huge, and the you know movie is ninety minutes long. Uh, the movie made out of painted black is very expressionistic, so it's like a, mm-hmm. a, a very artistic take on my book. Uh, both of them have choices that you know the filmmaker makes that I don't have to make because I didn't write the film. So for me, it's like 
it's so hard to make a film. I yes. don't judge it like how, you know, did they, you know, did they do a paint by the numbers version of it? I don't like, I'm just happy that they've, you know, they've decided to, to uh, adapt something of mine and to see what the more curiosity to see what they do with it. It's pretty cool to walk into a set and see something that you've imagined to see it in physical reality. That's, that's amazing. That it is very much so. It it must have been extremely exciting for you, and and yeah. um, like I said, to to see something that you have written in in a novel form now to be manifested into a more uh, into a, into a more multi dimensional perspective, which is a film, which which I think is amazing. So, um, and and both books for that matter, Painted Black and White Oleander. That's that in itself is a huge accomplishment. You know, I I think honestly, you're one of the few people that I've had on my radio program that has um, that has not only published books but has had them turn into films within such a short amount of time. So kudos to you for that. I mean, I mean, well, it may have been done by somebody else. But, yes, <laughs> and they may have been the films may have been done by somebody else, but the thing is, they were inspired by you to have it done. Into a, to have them done into a film. So, like I said, kudos to you. Now we're getting into the transitory questions. Okay, you have a background in Russian history. What compelled you to study that particular subject? Um, I got into Russian literature when I was in junior high. And uh, it just, you know, everything I loved about fiction was just mm-hmm. compressed into those books. Um, I fell in love with Russian literature. I had, you know, read all those James Bond books and seen all those movies and stuff. So I was already kind of interested in Russia. And I'd seen Dr. Zhivago with my grandmother and, uh, uh, you know, fell in love with that. So when I, you know, read Crime and Punishment for the first time, that, that just locked lock me in forever so I took Russian in high school I took Russian in college and I majored in history and Russia was my emphasis um, mm-hmm. so I, it's just it's always been there it's always been there I, I'm compelled by it. I like a really intense drama you know there's a certain flavor I'm looking for uh, and Russian literature just has it you know reading mm-hmm. Crime and Punishment that was formed my idea of what a novel should be and, um, you know, I think I've, I've retained that ever since, you know, I like a very intense book. I like a book that moves to the bigger issues, um, yes. you know, heavy drama between characters, you know, is something I love. I, I don't shy yes. away from that. So, uh, and I don't, uh, I was going to say, I, I don't blame you at all because with the, with the little bit that I've read, um, such as Anna Karenina, and um, I, I have to tell you, when you when you mentioned Dr. Zhivago, you tugged at my heartstrings because the soundtrack to that film is absolutely exquisite. Maurice Jarre is one of my favorite people because he knew how to carry the story through music in the most unbelievable mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so uh, one thing that you and I, I do have in common... I actually listened to some of that music when I was, when I was writing... Uh, um, Marina, especially Chimes of a Lost Cathedral, for certain reasons. I actually listened to that soundtrack, somebody's love theme in the book, 
uh, I would yes. listen to that over and over again um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it just made so much sense for it was a feeling that I was looking for. Exactly. Yes, Laura's theme is a beautiful song, beautiful piece of music in that film. I, I play it on the piano every chance I get. It is wonderful. Um, I have to tell you that uh, with the with the tidbits that I've that I've read about you in terms of your uh, Russian historical background, you you got me into something too. Because one thing you and I have in common is we both in middle school have uh, had. Um, have a love for for Russian history, and you brought me back to something. And I want to tell you, um, I, I encountered something on Amazon Fire a, about a day or two ago, and it was um, it was the story of the Tarinas of Russia. And when I saw that, I said, "Wow!" Now I I completely and totally understand why. Um, not only not only for myself, but you. Uh, got into the history of Russia because it is a very, very rich history, very delving and deep history, and um, I commend you for 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 studying such a very elaborate subject matter. So, like I said, kudos to you. Um, let's see. What do you enjoy best about writing? Oh, I like having more than one life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that if I didn't have writing, I would just be crazy. Um, <clears throat> writing, just like reading, it's like what would life without reading be? Um, yeah. I think I'd be insane. Uh, mm-hmm. You, you only get one life. It was a very, it was a. I remember when I first like really understood that that you only get one life and it just seems so so pitifully limited to only have one life uh but when you read you can be anyone and when you write you're living deeply you're living uh, another life and you're living it for a long time you know when i was writing uh uh the revolution of marina m and chimes of lost cathedral that was 12 years so I was living in that for 12 years. And so not only am I living in this, in you know, these life and times, but also in, in, those, li- in those lives and those times. And it allows you to live more than one life. There's nothing, there's, you know, how pitiful our lives would be without art, without, art, without stories. Yes. Exactly. I agree with you there. Um Speaking of your writing, in what way do you want to impact your readers with your characters? Because I have a little story about that, but uh, I want to know your answer. Boy, I don't, I don't think about that way, you know, about how I'm impacting them. I, I'm thinking more of of creating a somebody who. Uh, is a unif not a unified character in terms of you know they're the same all the way through, but a character who is a, like a living, breathing, often contradictory person as we all are, um, and to give a reader a real person as real as I can make them uh, for them to inhabit a world and face their problems and think through their mind and see through their eyes. Um, I'm looking for a character that a reader can inhabit for the length of a book. 
Oh, um, the reason I say that is because I've um, I, I've been impacted greatly by Astrid in in your first book, and I I see so many so many similarities in in myself and her, especially with her interests, and um, she she has some very intricate interests for for a, for a teenager, and um, and if I could say that um, in a way that. Astrid has impacted me. She uh, she gave me a reflection of of a part of me that you know was so long ago, but in a way she was brought back to me because of your writing. Know that. And let's see. My next cool. question. Yeah, is, she's. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I you know what I do when I'm working on a character when I have a you know when. What I hope for is that it's very hard in life to handle uh, some of this really hot subject matter when it comes up. It's such a shock um, mm-hmm. when you know when character when people find themselves in a crisis. It's usually mm-hmm. so hot that we can't handle. We don't. We can't touch it. It's just a mess, and we just make scramble for some decision and try to get through it. And one of the things right. that literature does is allows you to experience these crisis situations that people go through, but a little bit removed from ourselves so that we actually can experience it, can see the choices that we're, that our character will faces and that we would be facing in that situation but give us a little distance so that we can actually see what it is and that's how I think how we train our moral sense is in these by giving ourselves that little bit of distance that literature gives you we can handle the situations and come to some conclusions of how we would handle this kind of a thing in our own lives and all of my characters are, uh, my protagonists are faced with moral decisions and problems that will affect their lives. And it gives the reader time to really think, you know, how would I feel about this? How would I deal with this? Yes, I see that. In um, Chimes of a Lost Cathedral, uh, of course, it takes place in Russia, a place you're very passionate about because, uh, of course, your background in, in its history is so rich. Um, what is the picture and words you want to paint in detail for your readers to see what you see about this place's history? Well, I think that the first thing is is what it is to live through a revolution. I mean, people bandy that term around, you know, everything from a change of a razor blade you know, to uh, new stockings are revolution. You know, no, they're not revolution. You know, there is revolution is a um, uh, a cataclysmic event. Uh, it is uh, hope, you know, the intensity of the hope and dreams and ambition and politics and people working at cross purposes and the unpredictability and um, you know the the uh, you know terrific social consequences that often unintended consequences um, are something that I you know that's the you know the first thing about 
those books is living what it is to live through a revolution. So we actually know what we're talking about when we talk about revolution. And um, it's set in, for the most part, uh, the, the books are set in St. Petersburg, which at the time was called Petrograd um, they, during World War II, World War One. The name was changed from Petersburg to Petrograd. Uh, it was Russified because they were fighting the Germans. It sounded German to them. Um, and it's a beautiful city uh, of canals and uh, um, you know just water everywhere. It's an imperial city. Was set. It was built by Italian architects, so it's very classical looking. It doesn't have all the domes and stuff that you you normally associate with Russia. It's one of the few maritime cities in Russia so it has shipping and it's very much about the sea um yes so it's a certain you know it's a certain um there's a certain westernness about it that's probably more western than a lot of cities in Russia um yes and it was the imperial city so that's where the revolution began awesome well, I just wanted to say you've made my afternoon, Ms. Fitch. I am excited that you um, that you called in and we, we got a chance to talk about your works. And uh, for those of you listening, I have a couple of shout-outs for people. I would definitely like to thank Metal Sinaz for tuning in, Oni Monk, and, of course, my friend Alan Johnson for sharing my links and my, my promos. Thank you all so much for, for listening in and, call, and, of course, those who have promoted my show. And, Ms. Fitch, it was a joy and a pleasure to have you on my show. Oh, I cannot wait to do it again. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Oh, okay. Absolutely. Yes. I just want to let you all know that the show will be archived in within 15 minutes. So if you haven't had a chance to listen to it now, you can listen to it later. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, and any other platforms where podcasts are permitted. Thank you so very much. I am the Gypsy Boy signing off saying adios for now. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.